Well, we're finally here. Uh, Twelve weeks this summer we've been studying and going through the greatest message sermon that has been ever given, uh, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached at the very beginning of His ministry. Uh, the most impactful message of all time. Hopefully this summer you've found your faith grown, you've been encouraged, uh, hopefully challenged in some ways, and uh, it's been awesome. But, uh, but it all leads to this. And so uh, it's kind of fun kind of getting to the end of it. But if you're here and you missed maybe some of the summer, or maybe it's your first time with us, we're certainly glad you're here. I want you to give yourself a pat on the back because if you got to see any message, you picked the right one. Like, this is it, right? You turned, tuned in like the last two minutes of the game, right? You, you get the punchline. This is what it all comes down to. So what a great day that you get to be here today as we get to find the culmination, the, the, the whole point of God's great message to us, a Sermon on the Mount. And really to understand the end of where we come to today, to get the point of it, we want to make sure that we understand how we got here, right? That, uh, that Jesus, when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, it wasn't to give some type of great uh, expose of uh, what God's morality is supposed to be or how we're supposed to, an, an unabridged version of how we're supposed to live the Christian life. It was a declaration of God's kingdom in this world. That God was showing us there was a different way. That Jesus came to institute and to bring about the very kingdom of God amongst the people that are so broken in this world. It was a declaration. uh, 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 He was saying, there is a way to be that that is so different than anything you've ever expected. It's a way better way of life. There's a better way of of doing things that it's going to be so different than the way this world has operated. That it's going to twist your mind just a little bit. Actually, it's going to straighten it out. And all of the hopes and all the dreams and everything that you ever wanted to have are so tiny compared to what God is about to bring, the kingdom of God declared to you. It's the most amazing message. But it's so different than than what we would have expected. So he, he brought those disciples outside of town onto this hill, this lonely place, right? And they were expecting a Messiah that was going to come in and finally kill the Romans. He was going to finally, you know, subjugate all of the the lukewarm Jews who were not being fully faithful, right? He was going to make sure that they straightened up and that the law would be finally, you know, uh, it would be, it would be, uh, it would be in practice everywhere perfectly. He would make sure that all the enemies of God were, were punished or killed, right? It was, they were looking forward to, to the good guys finally winning. And they were ready for this powerful military leader to come and to lead them. And Jesus takes him and said, I am your Messiah, but not like you think. And he begins the sermon by, by telling them that his kingdom is, is going to operate different than the ways of the world. And he begins with those, those wonderful beatitudes where he, he teaches us really the principles of the kingdom. The first is that, that the kingdom of God is going to be internal. It's going to be personal before it's public, which is the opposite of what they expected because they thought they're having a military Messiah. And that's what we look for, isn't it? That's why every four years in our country, people lose their minds. We're like, oh, we got to have the right leader. Otherwise, the right, you know, nation's going to fall apart. It's falling apart because people are a mess. And we've been trying to top-down lead order since the beginning. And how is that working for us? Would we say the nations of the world are at perfect peace? Would we say the way that people operate things from the top down, it, it works really, really well? See, Jesus said, my kingdom's going to be personal first. For it's ever public. Because I came to conquer your heart. And beyond that, he said, 
My kingdom is going to be one that's going to require both faith and faithfulness because it's going to be the kingdom of God, not your kingdom. Your kingdom makes sense to you. And there's a reason that you're here at church today because the way you run your life probably isn't perfect. The things are missing. The way our society works is broken. Am I the only one that sees that? I mean, look at the world when people do things the way that they think it should operate. Bad stuff happens. Every war is fought by two sides thinking that they are doing what's right. Right? No one thinks we're the bad guy. And yet we're all the bad guy. How many marriages are destroyed because you have two people in the marriage both thinking that they're right and they right fight each other to death? How many friendships have been destroyed because both people think they know exactly what is right and if the other person would just do it their way? We destroy our culture, our families, our lives because we want to make sure that we're imposing right things on the outside and we do things our way. In fact, in the Bible, every time it says, and the people did what was right in their own eyes, bad stuff happens. And we're the same way. But God's kingdom doesn't operate like we do. That's why it's the kingdom of God. And I am grateful that he gives us a different way but it means it's not going to make sense to us. Praise God, his kingdom doesn't always make sense to me. It requires faith. We don't get to have a natural kingdom. We get to live according to a supernatural kingdom, something so much better. Are you going to have doubt? Yeah, better. It's bigger than your brain. But we get to believe in something bigger, better. And it also requires faithfulness because God's kingdom isn't about just knowing the right things. It's about becoming the right people. Which is why right after the Beatitudes, he goes into an explanation of the character of God's kingdom. Totally different than the character of this world. The world is a zoo, would you agree? Yeah, more than you think. You see, when I go to the zoo, I want to see wild animals. That's why I go. I also want to see the outfits that people wear, right? But mostly, I go because I want to see wild animals. But I go to a zoo and not the African safari because I don't want to die. See, I don't go to the zoo to see the safe little animals. I don't go to the bunny enclosure. That's not where I go. I'm going to the zoo. I'm going to see the lions and the tigers and the bears. Oh, my, it's going to be great. See, the zoo is a place where wild, dangerous things are kept contained in nice little cages. And that is what religion is. See, religion is are these nice little boxes, these cages that contain the little beasts that are you and me. There are these things, these cages say, well, I know you're a murderer, but I'm going to put you in this cage so you don't, don't kill each other all the time. That's going to be good. I know that you're naturally just a liar, but I'm going to put you in this cage so you, you tell the truth because, so we can be safe and so we can have society. That's why religion adds all kinds of good things to the world. That's why all people recognize at some point that we need religion. So I have all laws and things like that. But the problem is, if I go to the zoo and the cage comes open, I'm going to get mauled. I go to the zoo, the lion's always going to be the lion, the beast will always be the beast. If I stay in religion, the beast remains the beast. And God's kingdom isn't filled with beasts. See, God's kingdom, we talk about this, it doesn't have a law. It's not going to be laws up there, but does it mean it's going to be like San Francisco? Is it going to be lawless? Right? Are going to be people all just run around stealing each other's cars, doing things? Is it going to be horrible? No, it's not going to be that way. Why? Because the citizenry, the character of God's kingdom is different. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. You see, what the law did was just keep us in cages. Jesus said, now I'm going to open up the cage. I'm going to let you free. 
You're going to be set free because you're not going to be the murderer anymore. You're not going to be the adulterer anymore. You're not going to be the liar anymore. Whatever it is that you used to be, the beast that defined you, I am going to remake you. And the kingdom of God is going to come alive in you. So when we look at, at the kingdom of God, we're going to stroll those beautiful streets and the citizenry there are going to be people who would inherently never tailgate. They're always going to be kind. In fact, the people of God's kingdom will always treat others in the kingdom how they would want to be treated. That's where I want to live. See, that's the character of the kingdom of God because it's a kingdom that changes us. It's a kingdom for the children of God, not the beasts of this world. And that brings, then, what are the benefits of living in that kind of kingdom? Well, Jesus talks about it. He gives a couple of examples. One, he says, listen, everyone in this world has been living under the curse ever since the beginning, since the garden. God provided in the garden, then we're like, no, we want to do things our own way. We want to have this poison fruit of Eden. We're going to do what's right in our own eyes. We're going to live it. And God said, fine, but now you get to provide for yourself. You get to eke out your own living. Good luck. And ever since then, humanity has been in bondage and slavery to the almighty dollar. Every person lives in fear of the market, trying, working so hard, hoping that the dollar is going to be enough to get them to the end of the month and maybe beyond. And even those who have extra are always worried that maybe it'll fly away. Who knows? But Jesus said when he came, his kingdom's not under the curse. You don't have to live that way anymore. Now you're back in God's provision. So you can seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He'll provide you what you need. So you don't have to be afraid of the markets. You don't have to be afraid of, of will the money take care of me or not? God's going to take care of you. You just have to be faithful, be part of his kingdom. But even better, we get to finally tell money what to do. We can put money in its place. We can be its master, not have to worship it anymore. We can worship God and make all things fall under his dominion. That's pretty fun. And beyond that, he goes on to say, it's not just money. How about this? The world's lived in ignorance since the beginning. Once we kick God out of the garden, we start doing things in our own way. And we judged poorly. We condemn people instead of knowing right from wrong because we don't even know what's right from wrong. And we develop all these religions and all of these philosophies, and we don't know what truth is. But in his kingdom, now we can judge rightly. We can finally get those logs out of our eyes that have been giving us so much trouble. And we'll be able to see clearly to be able to help one another remove the specks from their eyes as well. Not out of condemnation, but out of love. Building each other up according to what is good. We'll actually be able to discern truth from error, right from wrong. That's part of God's kingdom. What an amazing thing. You see, it, it different. God's kingdom is so different. He says, even the law in God's kingdom operates so different in this world. This world is about taking care of me, right? Treat others the way I want to treat them. But in God's kingdom, we're actually to be able to treat others how I would like to be treated kingdom based upon love and a different kind of selfless motivation, not the selfishness that has ruled humanity from the beginning. It is a great place to live, and those are just the beginning of the benefits. And I really, so that takes us to the Sermon on the Mount, and, and what Jesus promises and gives us is a much better picture. And I look at that, and I say, this is the kind of kingdom I want to be a part of. I'm done being part of this culture that is so divisive, so hate-filled, so selfish, it has no security. It brings out the worst in me and makes me uh, defined by the very things that have broken me. I'm done with that. I want to be part of God's kingdom, but then I have this problem because I get to this point in the Sermon on the Mount and I look at me and I look at the citizenry of God's kingdom and I don't fit in there. Then my, my predecessor used to say, he said, for people who are looking for a church, he says, don't go to a perfect church. 
Because if you find a perfect church and you go there, you'll ruin it. And it's true. If I brought me to heaven, I'd be the one tailgater. I'd be the one person, you know, ready to cuss out somebody if they were in the store that didn't do things my way. I would not fit in. And that troubled me. And I think it should have troubled the, the hearers of the sermon too. God's kingdom declared, it's an amazing place, but if we're honest, none of us really belong. So why did he bring his kingdom? Why does he declare it? How do I get there? How does a broken beast like me make it into the beautiful kingdom of God? And that's what the focus of the message is on. And really, it comes down to, and there's the, 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 the main point of the entire message. It's been our anchor verse for the series, our memory verse for it. And it's Matthew 7, 24. It's what Jesus leads us to. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. I mean, that's really the, 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 the culmination. This is the so what. This is the whole point of Jesus' message, right? But to understand really what that means, why it's the focus of this, let's, let's see how he builds to it at the very end of his message. So if you have your Bible, turn them to Matthew chapter 7, verses, and you're going to start in verse 13. That's a good place to be because that's where we're going to be. Right? I'm going to have this, some of the scriptures on the screen, but you can't make notes on my screen, so get your Bibles out. It's good. Okay? And Jesus then brings his whole sermon to this beautiful point, and by doing so, he gives four amazing contrasts. The, the difference between staying in the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of darkness, and, and what it's different to be in the kingdom of light, right? And how we make sure that we can transition, that we can be set free, we're, we end up being part of his kingdom and not a fraud. And the first one, in verse 13, starts like this. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through that. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, this goes against, I think, something that has been taught in our culture to ad nauseum, that all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to God. That is just patently crazy. Do all roads lead to Estes? Can I just get on a road, I don't know, in, in like Mozambique and end up in Estes Park? is not going to happen. Now, if I want to go to Estes Park, there is a way. This is why a lot of us don't even know how to drive to like a store in a city that's not Estes Park if we don't talk to Siri or, or Google first because there is a way. And if you're not on the path to that way, you're going to wind up somewhere else. And ignorance doesn't, it, no, you can be like, well, I plead ignorance. I genuinely wanted to make it to the store. I don't know how I wound up in the, in the country, but I was really trying, and I was driving well. No, there was a way. It, it just makes sense. See, this world has told us that God coexists. Jesus coexists with all these other ways. He does not coexist with anything. He is self-existent. He is preeminent. He is Lord of all, or he is not your Lord at all. And here's the thing. There is a way to the kingdom of God. There is a path that Jesus said, and it's not that he's just being exclusive and hates everybody else. It's, it's open to anyone. You don't see, he said, there is a gate. There's a way in. If you find it, great. He's not there keeping people out. But you've got to be on the way. So what is this way to the kingdom? Because this is offensive to us, isn't it? Good. God's kingdom, not mine. Praise the Lord. How do I know that there is this way? The fact that there is a way shows that God is so merciful because why should I be allowed into his kingdom when I look at the citizenry there? I don't match 
The fact that he would even make a way is good. But what is that way? Well, interestingly enough, I'm not the first to ask. Did you know that the apostles, on the night that Jesus was being, uh, he's going to be betrayed and crucified, Jesus tells them, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to die for you, but, and I'm going to go away for a little while, but I'm going to come back. And it's better for you that I go. And he says, better that I go do this, because where I'm going, I'm going to go see the Father, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you in my Father's house. There's going to be lots of rooms there, I want to make a place for you. And if I, would I have told you that I'm going to do that, unless I'm going to do it? And if I make a place for you there, am I not going to come back again to get you there, so you can be with me where I am? Like, God wants me to be there. He's making a way. He's even making a place for me. Well, then he says, you know, but don't worry about it. Uh, I'm going to come back, and you shouldn't be worried even while I'm there because you know the place that I'm going, and you know the way. To which Thomas, which is one of the reasons I named our son Thomas is because he was so honest. This is what Thomas says. He says, I don't even know how to get there. And how am I supposed to know if I don't know the way, if I don't know really where you're going? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, if that doesn't make your brain blow up just a little bit, you're not reading it. But here's the cool thing. Jesus didn't just say there is a way, good luck finding it. He said, here's the way, and I am it. It's not just a religious belief system that leads you to God. God leads you back to God. He's a person. He came in history. He, he put on flesh so that we would know him. He, he, he taught amongst us. He walked, he, he's not some ethereal concept that we have to hopefully find as we grope in the dark. He came as the light into the dark world so he could reveal himself to us. He said, here I am. The way to God, the way to God's kingdom is through Christ and Christ alone. And that is wonderful. Because that could be known. Now we don't have to worry about it. There's not just like some, it's not just like the Episcopalians make it and nobody else. Right? It, it's, it's that Jesus said, come to me. And I'll bring you there. That is amazing. In fact, one of the core Christian doctrines is simply this. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. There is no other name under heaven by which people must be saved. There's no other works under heaven by which we have to do to be saved. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He is the way. So the first thing he tells us is you've got to judge your path. What path are you on? Because a lot of people in this world are being deceived onto a very broad path that leads to destruction. And it doesn't matter how sincerely they believe that path leads them somewhere. It's not going to where they think they're supposed to go. Salvation comes by no one else other than Christ, and it is imperative essential that we recognize that we are saved by grace by, through our faith in Him. So that's the first thing. So He tells His followers, and they were looking at the temple, and they were looking at religion, and they were looking at political revolutions as being ways of their salvation. And He says to them, no. He's standing in front of you, and I'm, I'm asking you to be part of my kingdom, which means that you have to come through it. It's my kingdom, not yours. A lot of us look at the world and say, well, that, I don't want to serve a God who would be so exclusive. God's not asking you. He's inviting you. And there is a way. And out of mercy and grace, he pleads, he says, here's where it is so you can see it. 
The second contrast he brings is not just the path, because a lot of people then say, okay, I get the path. There's a way of salvation that comes through Jesus, but not everyone you meet on that path is going to be saved. He says to it, the next thing, he says, watch out for false prophets. Guess what? They're going to be there. He says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Talking about leaders. That, that, that there are people that this was the first thing talks about other religions. There's not other ways to God. There is only Him. But but you know that there are Christians, even those that step up and try to influence others who really aren't part of God's kingdom. I think, like, so far, like, young people, I bet you probably are so sick of it, people talking about your generation being so lost and they just were so worried to be secularized. I am more concerned that you're going to be snatched up by false teachers, by a church that's going to apostate. That is far more dangerous than, than the darkness of this world. There are teachers who put on sheep's clothing and they look like us and they smell like us. They look like Christians, they smell like Christians, right, but they will devour you. Their teachings will destroy you. They will take you off of the path. And they have done so to the destruction of many, as Jesus warned. They'll say things like this. Well, of course we're all saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But we don't really need to follow his word. The Bible's just some suggestions written by some old guys a while back. I've got a better way. Where God's way, you know what? He's going to forgive you and you can have all your sin you want because you're saved by God's grace, so just go keep on sinning. It doesn't matter. Uh, they're going to do things like, well, if you want God's favor, give me all your money. Give me all the fame and all of those type of things and then, and then God's going to bless you, but make me better. You know what? Jesus talks about these. He says those kind of teachings, those kind of, uh, of false teachers don't lead you to the kingdom. They can destroy you. How are you supposed to tell who they are? Because they look like us. He didn't say, use your best thinking. He didn't even say, well, let's compare their doctrine. Let's look at them and say, well, this is where they're heretical. He Why didn't he not say that? Well, think about it. At the time, Jesus was really going against what was the, the orthodox teaching of the Jews at the time, which was being taught by the Pharisees, who got it wrong. We're not supposed to follow our best teaching. We're supposed to follow Jesus. So what does Jesus say? This is your test. Look at this. This blew my mind. He says, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And I honestly, I didn't know. I'm assuming no. <laughs> right? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not by how much they make sense to you. Not by how much it seems like their teachings feed your soul. Look at their lives. Because you can't fake the kingdom. It's either kingdom of God is personal before it's public, or it's not there at all. And I think the first thing we need to do is, like, what is the fruit? What is the evidence of the life we're supposed to look for? Would you know that the, the Holy Spirit gives us a guide in Galatians? This is what it says, Galatians 5. It says, the acts of the flesh, or the fruits of the flesh, some translations, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fruits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. Teachers that teach this kind of stuff Teachers that have, that live this kind of lifestyle are wolves, period. 
And you can't fake it. Because that's the flesh. So, let's look at Jesus. Since he's supposed to be the way. And look at his life. Do we see these fruits in the life of Christ? Was Christ sexually immoral? Was he impure? Was he debaucherous? Was there idolatry or witchcraft evident in him? Did any of his teachings lead to those things? Right? Do we see fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy in Christ? I think, in fact, the teaching of Jesus throughout the years, not only do we not see that in him, we've seen the opposite effect as people follow Christ. Instead, what do we see? He says, I warned you did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruits of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law, just like the kingdom. Do we see those fruits in Christ? Was there love? Well, he did die on a cross for my sins, even though I was his enemy, so I think that's... There is no greater love than this. How about joy? For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Right, knowing that, that what God was doing. How about peace? Is the evidence of Christ's life and peace, is he not our prince of peace? Has he not the evidence of his, his work that now we have peace between us and God, but also we have the ability to have peace between us and others? Forgiveness, kindness. I mean, you look at this. Christ has the fruits of the Spirit. Shouldn't surprise us. But then, let's think about this. How about the authors of the New Testament? Look at the, the, the apostles, those who were under Jesus' teaching. Do they look like that old list? Was the effect of Peter's life that people kept walking into debauchery, was, was Peter known as an adulterer? Was there murder that kept going on in the church because of his teaching? Is that the effect of it? How about Paul? No, we find that these men not only live such exemplary lives that, yes, now there are cathedrals that are built, for, have their name, by the very societies that killed them. Because the countries and the people that killed them eventually were like, wow, they we're such amazing people, and they taught such good truths. Let's build a cathedral. That's pretty good. If you can have your murderers build a, a temple for you, that's pretty awesome. The effect of their teaching has been Western ethics for 2,000 years. I think they passed the sheep test. But it's not just for them. The scripture, this is why we follow it. The evidence of the Holy Spirit is in the Word. The fruits of the Spirit were evident by the guys who wrote this. This is not just written by people, the false prophets who live these debaucherous lives that taught horrible things and the effect of their teaching leads people to, to bad lives. For thousands of years, the truth has been proven. It changes people and still does. And we still celebrate transformed lives today. But also, how about your spiritual influences? Are they sheep? Or are they wolves? Well, I would caution you, don't just go to someone because they look nice or they have a great way of explaining things and they sound good and they make sense to you. First, look at their lives. Isn't that the test in the New Testament, even for your elders and pastors? Right? You're supposed to look at their lives? I mean, the church, if, I'm, if the effect of my life, if you see me and I'm just an angry, awful, hate-filled, miserable person, I'm not perfect. You guys know that, right? You know, I, I tell you that pretty regularly because it's not a surprise. But I better have the evidence of the fruits of the Spirit in my life. And how do you test that? Scripture says, look at how I treat my wife. Look how I treat my son because how I treat them is how I'm going to treat you. 
Do I actually love you? Or am I abusive to you? If I'm abusive to you, then I'm a wolf and get away. The effect of my teaching, has it been in your life, has it propelled you towards righteous living? Or has it been an excuse for you to continue to live in greater depravity? Test your leaders, but not just your pastors. Test those. We have people on the internet. We've got uh, podcasts. We have people writing books that are influencing the church. Test them. You're not going to get to know them personally, but test the fruits of their life and the effect of their teaching. Is it strengthening your faith? Is it strengthening your families? Is it strengthening community to help draw in closer to God? Or is the opposite there? Test the fruit because there are true teachers and bad teachers. And if you're on the right path, you're going to need to have right leaders to help you on that. That's why God gave the church pastors and teachers and other leaders. So test us. Third thing that we look on this, this uh, kingdom, right? We want to make sure that we're on the right path and we have the right kind of leaders that are going to serve us in that. Then he says, well, there are also true and false followers. He says there, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. What? I think a lot of times people think that, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm the right path. I, I, Jesus is, is, is Lord and Savior. I get that. I go to church, and I got a great pastor. And I listen, I read the right books. I go to Sunday school. I do all those things. But do you apply it to your life? Nah. Nope. No, I just do what I want. When I agree with God, I'll do it. But there is no acts of faithfulness in my life because every time I do what God wants me to do, it's only because I think I should anyhow. There's no faith there. Jesus said, listen, that's not, that's not evidence of people of his kingdom. He needs to be Lord. Now, do you have to be perfect in that? No, he knows you're not. But at least there has to be acknowledgement that his ways are what you should be living, a, a commitment of surrender to your life, that Jesus, I'm learning to obey you in all things, because that's what, in the kingdom of God, that's who he's making us into. But just as he warns us against grace abuse, just doing whatever we want, because we can get you know, forgiven, and I'm just going to live however I want, and he also says, the, and that's a false believer, on the other side is equally as true. He goes right to the other side. Next, he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Right? It's not about what you do. Right? Look at what they said. It's like, okay, Lord, Lord. And I'm doing all these amazing things for you, so my access to your kingdom is based upon what? My good behavior. And notice Jesus' answer to them. He says, uh, he says, the thing he calls them is evildoers. Are they doing evil things? No, all the things they listed are good. But that doesn't undo the wickedness in their soul. I mean, even a lion can, you know, bring you a gift from time to time, I suppose. But it's still a lion. Well, let's put it a different way. An axe murderer might be a beautiful house guest. Come over, treat your family wonderful. Still an axe murderer. The way that they're trying to get in the kingdom is based upon their merit. And look what Jesus says to them. Away from you, evildoers, right? All the good things doesn't undo the wickedness you've done. It has to be paid for because I never knew you. He doesn't say you didn't know me. They knew him. They called him Lord, Lord. Last week, we talked about how Jesus gave us this promise in the kingdom. If we ask and keep on asking, we're going to get answers and keep on getting answered. If we seek and keep seeking, right, we're going to find and keep on finding. If we knock and keep on knocking, God's going to open the door and keep on opening it to us. 
that's a pretty great promise, right? And a lot of you are here because of that. You've been asking, you're seeking, you're knocking, and the kingdom has opened its gates wide to you. But you know there is a parallel to that, the bookend to that same promise in Revelation, where Jesus at the very end says, but now I stand at the door and knock. And whoever opens that door, I'll come in and I will fellowship with them. See, the danger of the kingdom is this, is so many come and they find the way and they find a great church and they get involved in religion and they do all of the great works, but they never let Christ in. You're still basing everything off of religion, off of rules and what you can do. But Jesus came for relationship. He came so that you can know him. The greatest danger, I think, to, to a lot of the modern religious Christians is this. They think that somehow they can out-earn their wickedness, that they can earn the favor of God. He's given it freely, but he needs you to let him into your life. How tragic it is that so many just get their toes right on the precipice of the kingdom. Christ is knocking. Let me in. And you say, no, no, I would rather earn my way. That's not the way that we get there. It's not grace abuse, right? But we also can't do law abuse. This is not moralism that Jesus came to give us. He came to give us relationship. And if that seems awkward to you, I want you to consider this, because God is a relational God. I, I'm married for 26 years to a wonderful woman named Amy. And I know her really well. What a tragedy it would be been 26 years, well, let's say every Valentine's Day, every day, I do the obligatory thing that I know I'm supposed to do. I give her the chocolates. I give her the flowers. I take her on to a nice dinner. And I say, well, I had to do those things. Those are the obligatory things. Check, check, and check. But I never let her into my life. Would there be relationship? It would be cold and dead. Do you think she would be happy? Wouldn't it be better even if I gave her fewer flowers or subpar chocolates or even went to a restaurant that wasn't perfect but I did it be out of expression of my love for her wouldn't that mean entirely more because it's not about the chocolates and it's not about the flowers and it's not about the dinner it's about my love which is why scripture says we're saved by God's grace through faith not by works it's not the things you do God's not looking for you to impress him he made you he loves you he's already impressed with you he does good work wants you to let him in love him that's his kingdom so we don't abuse his grace we don't abuse the law we have a different motivation not one that's selfish not one that's prideful but we do things based upon love relationship the fourth contrast that jesus gives then the final one he says therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain came down, the stream rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus says that all of this stuff in his kingdom, everything there, you can, if you're on the right path, right, you're coming to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be saved by grace through faith. You have good teaching, good teachers, you have the, the word of God, scripture, you have good pastors, you have, you have, you have mentors around you that are going to help you keep on, you have a community that's going to help you be on this path, you're surrounded by the sheep, right, you've, you've been able to discern out the wolves, you're on this path, and you begin to actually love God, you have a different motivation, you're not doing things because I have to do them, because the law says I have to do, because religion tells me I have to, I'm doing things because I actually begin to love God, 
and I, I want to actually love other people. So it's not like I'm not going to not uh, uh, have an affair on my wife because, you know, the law tells me not to. I'm not going to have an affair on my wife because I love her. It's the same thing. I'm, I'm going to be able to serve people and minister to people and give and care for people and pray for them, not because I have to, but because I love God and I love his people, and I'm on that path. I can know all of those things, but I can still build my life on the sand. I can still say, these are all the teachings of God, wonderful things. I say they are true, and yet I'm going to build my life still according to the way of the rest of the world. And he gives a ridiculous example, kind of like a log in the eye kind of thing. He says, don't build your house on sand. What are you talking about? Well, over in the Middle East, there are these things called wadis because they have mountains there, which blew my mind when I was in Israel. Like, who put mountains here? God did. So it would rain in the mountains. And where does that water go? Similar to Estes Park, we got rocks. Doesn't go into the rocks. It goes down into these valleys, these ravines, and they have these things called wadis, which are dried out. And then when the rain comes, all of a sudden, big old flash flood. And then it's over. And then you do that enough over a period of centuries, and you get a bunch of sand in the middle of those wadis, and guess what? That sand is really fun to play in. And it'd be really easy to build a house on that because yeah, easy foundation. And he says, they're going to be like, what if you had a realtor who comes to you and says, hey, I've got some really cheap land for you. It's beautiful, gorgeous view. And the foundation, it's, it's awesome. It's right in the middle of this wadi. And you start building your house, and everybody around you would be like, well, that's an idiot. Because it's not a question of if the rain's going to come and wash it out, it's when. But he said there's a different way. On the sides of the wadi are rocks. And guess where the, wa the, the water doesn't go? On the rock. Guess what's a lot harder to build on? The rock. But it's better. And he says my teachings are like this. Everyone in this world building where it's easy. Doing what the world says. They've sold you a property in the midst of the washout and you can look at the destroyed lives before you how many more families do we need to see destroyed by living according to the world's teachings about how marriage is supposed to work how many more children and parents have to have destroyed relationships for us to see that the world's understanding of how to parent and how to be a kid is maybe not awesome how many more people do we have to see living in lives of perpetual anxiety because they understand the teachings of this world about how we are supposed to to have relationships with people, how we're supposed to resolve conflict with people, how we're supposed to live financially. Uh, it doesn't work. But people, even good Christians, build our lives on the sand all the time. And then we're shocked, shocked, I tell you, just amazed when bad things happen in this world. Can you imagine? And then our world falls apart. But there's a different way. There's a time-tested way. If, you, if you're on the path You've got good leaders. If you really love Jesus, you can also follow him. It's not just about the hereafter, the promise there. Even here and now, you can have a life that's stable. That's why it's the crux of this. Jesus is saying, he's pleading with the people, build your life on the rock. But the warning, not everybody does, he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice was like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Rain came down, the stream rode, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. You don't have to be this. To the whole point of the entire Sermon on the Mount, God declares his great kingdom, right? The very end of it, the best part of it, is he invites us to be in that kingdom. And, and this, is, this is the main thing. He says, so be wise and build your life on the rock. He came. He built his kingdom for us. He declares it to us. Now's the invitation. 
that you can be part of this. Even as unperfect as you are, he will make you perfect. He will change you from the inside out. He will transform you. you all you have to do is be saved by grace through faith. Express that faith. Believe, confession, repentance, be baptized, be discipled, be around good leaders, be on the right path, but have good leadership to help grow you up in that faith. Learn how to love God, how to have relationship with Him. Learn how to transition your actions from being things that I have to do because they're morally right to I'm going to get to live a better way because I love God and I'm learning to love other people, right? Begin to practice and apply the biblical truths that He's given us to save yourselves misery in this world and to live a life of great value before others. Because I'll tell you, the rain's going to come. But it doesn't have to destroy you. And when your life doesn't fall apart, when the rain comes, it will be a testimony to the world that there is something bigger and better. There is a kingdom that is far more enduring. So the invitation, be wise and build your life on the rock. How do you do that? Well, you've got to do something, right? You don't, no one just gets to just sit around and play in the sand. Followers of Jesus follow after him. There's next steps. So on your connection card, I invite you to take them out. Look on the back side because I even wrote them there. But I'm going to go through them on the screen, maybe some things that you can do. The first one is read Matthew 5 through 7. Why? It's the Sermon on the Mount, which we just finished today. And maybe you weren't here the entire time. Maybe you would like to see God, Jesus, declaring his kingdom and all the good things that he has. And guess what? He's a good teacher. And Jesus' ways, these teachings will help you begin to build your life on the rock. So go through it and read it for yourself. And it won't take long. I know it says chapters. It's like a page and a half. But it's the most impactful message ever preached in humanity. So take some time this week and read that. Something else you might want to do is why don't you build on the rock? Take an honest assessment of your life because you're building somewhere. You're making decisions based on something. Are your decisions based upon a loving relationship with God or are you just doing things because it's how you want to do them? Begin to say, I'm going to change how I live my life. I'm going to be on the right path, but I'm also going to have the right leadership. I want to have a right relationship with God, so I want to build my life on the rock of his teaching. And I would say that might be something you need to make a change. Maybe there are things that you're doing that you're building your life on the selfish things or worldly things or there, there might be sins you need to walk away from. They need to change of the heart. You make that decision. Be wise because the rain's coming. But guess the rock's not going to let you, it's not going to fail you. Third thing you might want to do is get surround yourself with others who are part of this great community because why would you have a lonely house on the rock when you could have a whole community of great wonderful believers, Christians, you have a neighborhood, right? And that's part of being in a life group, right? Community. God didn't tell us to be lone rangers. You know what the church means? Assembly. You can't assemble by yourself. That would be, imagine the, the Avengers, that last movie, if there was just like one Avenger, he's like, assemble. And it was just him. That'd be boring. No power there. We want to be in community. That's what life groups are. It's where you get to meet other believers who are on this and we can encourage each other, building our lives on the rock of Christ together. You need to be part of a life group. What a great day. You are here because we're doing sign-ups for life group today. It's in that room there. We have our membership or our, our, uh, our uh, ministry fair. There's a table there for life groups. Put your name on a card, right? And if you have a house that we can meet in, we need those because we have more people than we have houses. So if you've got a place that God blessed you, use that and mess with the kingdom. But everyone needs to be in a life group. Something else you might want to do? to say yes to serve. Also in there, there's a lot of different ways you can serve. You'll find a little piece of paper that's got some bullet points. Those are opportunities to serve. You don't do all of them, but maybe you just, you could serve God with your muscles by shoveling snow this winter. Do it for the glory of God. Maybe you can help out with a nursery once a month, right? Care for kids so that way families come here and be, be cared for, right? There's, there's a, a bunch of different ways. Pushing a button in the back so that way the slides switch when I speak. It's gonna be fun. There are a lot of different ways you could serve God, but this is how we grow. 
So use your gifts and ability to serve him first. Maybe that's what you say yes to. Start building your life on the rock. Or maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And this is the most important thing. You need to transition because the rain's coming. Right? This world, it's, it's, a, it's not a safe place, but God invites you out of the world, out of the curse of the world, into a much better kingdom. So don't be here. Don't walk through the open gates and knock and come into church and not let Jesus in. He stands at the door and knocks. Saved by God's grace and faith. Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Do you understand all of that? No. You're going to have doubts, but you just have to have a willingness to submit and say, God, this is what I want. I want to be part of your kingdom. You express that faith and believing, as trusting with your mind, even with that doubt. You confess, which means you start to identify with Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just out of faith. Right? You repent, which means you say, I'm not going to be perfect, but God, I'm going to start living my life according to your ways, which is going to require some faith and faithfulness, but I'm going to start living that way. Right? You, you are baptized, which is being born again, and there's all kinds of cool stuff that, that's there, but, but then the best part is you get to be discipled. You get to grow up in a church family, an expression of your faith. You have good teachers here. You have a good community here to grow up in that. If you need to take that step out of the wadi and onto the rock, why on earth would you leave today without that? So if that's you, after the message, I invite you to come, come talk with me, uh, Pastor Jesse or any of our, um, our, our greeters, and we would be happy to help you answer your questions and help you make that first and most important decision. All right. Everyone hopefully has something to decide. Don't be standing here today and hear me and then do nothing. Take some steps on your connection card. Let me know what they are so I can pray for you this week. If you've got prayer requests, write down your connection card. And then after that, um, we're going to pass the offering basket. Please take those connection cards. It would be helpful if we all did this. Drop in the offering basket along with your tithes and gifts. This is your first offering to God of your heart. All right? Let me pray for you as you make those commitments. Heavenly Father, thank you. You gave us a better kingdom. You've given us one that we didn't create. You've given us a better way. Lord, and it's something that we do by faith and not by what we have to do. You, you offer us grace and forgiveness, but you call us out of the cage of religion, but you don't keep us the beast that we used to be. You transform us. We want that. We want your kingdom to come in us, be personal first, and then become public. But we want you to help us remove the, the logs that have been in our eyes, keeping us from seeing things clearly. Lord, so that, that we can understand and see the world the way that you do. That we have the heart and the ability to remove specks from others' eyes so they don't have to suffer either. Father, we want to be able to live a redeemed and a rejuvenated kind of life that, that leads us to greater faithfulness and greater glory for you. Lord, I pray today that you would draw each one of us in a deeper step of faithfulness, wherever we're at. Help us come closer to you. Now, Father, if there's anybody here that needs to come make that first decision to follow you as Lord and Savior, give them the courage to do it, knowing that you're calling them. Give them the courage to open the door of their hearts so you can be with them. Now, Father, I pray for all of us. If you take these commitments we make today, use them to build your kingdom in our life first and, and then through us so that you can receive glory. Now, Father, we pray for our tithes and offerings as well. I ask that you would use those to build your kingdom for your glory, for you are worthy. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.